It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Our common ground, alternative activists, empowerment, talk radio, speaking truth to our and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know? Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? As you honor our forefathers and foremothers, I urge you to honor our living heroes. When you honor the names of Nat Turner, Harriet Tubman, and Malcolm X, I urge you to honor the names of Geronimo Gijaga, Sundiata Akoli, Matulu Shakur, and Mumia Abu-Jamal. America's chickens are coming home to roost. Violence begets violence. Hatred begets hatred. And terrorism begets terrorism. Our common ground speaking truth to power and ourselves. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Thank you for being with us. Stay tuned. Good evening. Good evening, and welcome to Our Common Ground. My name is Alpha. I'll be sitting in for Janice Graham this evening. My prayers are with Janice and her family. She's uh, in Florida, and hope all is well. So, Saturday night, moon is bright. We've got some politics to cover. Mittens is beating up on um, the angry attack muffin in Nevada. It's uh, really a no contest situation when you get down to it. Uh, For the month of February, he is literally in Mormon country, where Mormon doesn't matter. Mitt Romney has been declared the winner in the Nevada caucuses. Um, It brings you to a, just a, not a head-scratcher, because this was a a done deal even before you you get there, and I wonder if um, the angry attack muffin 
Newt Gingrich will call him to congratulate him. Well, he hasn't called him, from what I understand, he didn't call him in Florida. And I'm not sure, but it's not clear. I don't think he called him for his victory in New Hampshire, see, because what he, the reason he gave, the reason Newt Gingrich gave was that Mitt Romney uh, was uh, overheard or someone in the camp was overheard saying, let's destroy Newt. So, you know, this is a thin-skinned fire thrower who can't take it. Just as when he was the house leader, he created all kinds of adversarial, uh, disputatious atmosphere between Democrats and Republicans. He defined his enemies with terms like evil, radical. He is basically one of the early founders of the adversarial politics that we see that has taken over. I don't think it, well, it can be pulled back because Democrats really, really aren't fighting. (laughs) And I'm not surprised, but uh, that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. We need someone to actually stand up and actually fight these Republicans because they're like terminators. They can't be reasoned with. They don't feel sympathy. They don't feel pain. They will continue and keep coming until they get power, because that's what this is about. This is about power. And the more power that they get, the happier they are. We had um, economic numbers come out. 243,000 jobs created. I'm sorry. 257,000 jobs created. But somewhere along the line, we lost 13,000 public sector jobs as the war on government employees, teachers, firemen, policemen, prison guards, city workers, the middle class. Jobs that pay a middle-class salary, something that may keep you in the lower middle class, but middle class nevertheless. They're looking to eliminate 125,000 postal jobs. And i got to tell you, there's nothing that speaks black middle class other than a post office job. It elevates people to that class simply because of the pay. So, therefore, it's unacceptable for Republicans to in any way support any kind of government job. This is why they say governments, the government can't create jobs. The government doesn't create jobs. Oh, that's a government job. Somehow the job is not worthy. I know a great many postal employees 
I know a great many postal employees with homes, two and three cars, who live a middle-class life. You must understand the attack on federal employees is two-pronged. That was the vehicle that most African Americans use to elevate themselves to middle-class status. Entrepreneurs, absolutely, we've had them. Professionals, lawyers, doctors, absolutely, we've had them. But the majority of African Americans elevated themselves, those with high school diplomas, those with community college, two-year degrees and four years, that was a government job, and that's how many African Americans moved into the middle class. No wonder it's under such attack. No wonder the government is being, has been vilified. No wonder spending. Spending is the narrative now. We have to cut spending. Democrats are in charge. Now spending is what we must stop. We must stop the reckless spending. All the debt, the debt, the debt. It gets to a point where you have to ask yourself. You really must ask yourself. Aren't they obvious in their destruction, in their sabotage of this economy? And despite their sabotage, just ask yourself, just ask yourself. Republicans have held this nation hostage since they've won the midterms. They they held the nation hostage in lame duck when they swore not to let anything get through. That means there would have been no health care for first responders. That means that the LGBT legislation would not have passed. That means that there would not have been an initial payroll tax cut and unemployment extension. That meant that there would not have been the Stark Treaty, the Nuclear Weapons Treaty that was so offered up by this administration. And they demanded this ransom of extending the Bush tax cuts. And I hear people say, oh, Obama extended the Bush tax cuts. Yes, he did. Yes, he did, but it was a trade-off. And he could have held fast, but there would not have been the things that we did get the extension the uh, extension of the unemployment insurance well although he didn't include the 99ers which he should have since he was giving up so many billions of dollars in bush tax cuts nor did he um seek to get the payroll tax cut for more than a year. He gave up two years of Bush tax cuts. And there's always been this back and forth of whether or not he was sufficiently dealing. But then you move on to 
two months, three months later, in 2011, where they threatened to shut down the government in February or March. And if you didn't give them their spending cuts, that they would shut down the government. And instead of the president allowing the government to be shut down, basically killing the the uh, recovery, he gave spending cuts as a ransom. These spending cuts cost hundreds of thousands of jobs, public sector jobs, federal jobs. He also put a freeze on federal pay, anything to appease the hostage takers. Then you fast forward to August, debt ceiling. No, we're not going to raise the debt ceiling, even though the debt ceiling has been raised more than eyebrows at a peep show. The debt ceiling had been raised without fanfare as this, just the second notion, just in passing. They demanded spending cuts to raise the debt ceiling, and they got them. Their spending cuts and their ransom has totaled 370,000 government public sector jobs, all the while 23 straight months of private sector job growth. Now, add that those 370,000 jobs. Just add that to the pot and see unemployment go down under 8%. And see our recovery get stronger and stronger, faster and faster. And now you have the the, the newest hostage. Why, the newest hostage is the uh, FCC, and they are holding that hostage. The FCC rules to keep the, uh, the planes in the air and to not destroy the unions uh, out in the uh, southwest. And the newest hostage that's coming, the, the next hostage on the table is the extension of the unemployment insurance and the payroll taxes. For that, they are demanding another cut, 200,000 more public sector federal jobs. Now, can someone tell me why this will not play well for the economy? Of course it won't. It's not going to play well for the economy. And you'll have them come before you and tell you just just how they are working hard and how they are passing uh, legislation for jobs, jobs legislation. Oh, free. It could have been better. It could have been better if he would just tell the Senate to pass the bills that we've passed and sign them into law. It would be better. We have the utmost concern and and uh, commitment to, well, I'll let them say. Because I respect the hardworking people of Wisconsin, I will continue to be a good steward of the taxpayer's dollar. I'm sorry, I, I can't help it. 
I just can't help it. That is absolutely my favorite little clip. 11 seconds long, but it tells such a story. Such a story. So when we hear people who are dissatisfied with this president and the decisions that he's made, just keep in mind what you are going to get. Just keep in mind what's in your future. <laughs> I've um, I've put myself in in a position that I, I you know I reach out to people and I simply give my opinion. I give my um, how I you know slice this up and dice this up. And to me, it's a no-brainer. To me. People complaining about what this president is not are missing the big picture and have missed the big picture. I can I can honestly say I've been very critical of this president. I've been really over the top in criticism about him not fighting back. Oh, they're going to think he's an angry black man. Well, they think he's a Muslim and an angry black man. They think he's an illegal immigrant and unfit to hold the office. Exactly how many times or how long are you going to ask them for the their approval? How many times are you going to ask them for they're not to tell you how you feel. We had a, a a particular show not too long ago where someone called and asked uh, Janice Graham, I think. Yes, it was. It was in uh, LDX, in an alliance den. Why is she so angry? And the subject came up to the young lady, what do you call yourself? What, how, what? What's your F, F? Who are you? She said a Latina. Mm. Well, without getting technical, we understand that to be Hispanic. And she declared herself a Latina. And she went on to ask Janice Graham, why is she so angry? The young lady's voice uh, was in the vicinity of that of a late 20s, early 30s. So her knowledge and her history was a challenge, Very right off the top. That was a challenge. But then in further of the conversation, because this back and forth went on for a few minutes, and the young lady finally revealed to us that she had a Hungarian father and an Italian mother. The young lady was white. And obviously she was ashamed of it because she says she was born in one of the Central American countries. So she considered herself a Latina. Will somebody tap her on the shoulder and tell her, no, you're white, you're Caucasian. And that's, that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, not at all. But you not knowing, you not identifying yourself as what you really are seems to be a little, just a tiny. I mean, it, 
that's what I really couldn't get my head around, that uh, she was calling and questioning someone who's lived the agony of what this country has offered African Americans, someone who has been on the front line, on the wall, for the fight for her people. And all you had, only question she had was, why the anger? And the anger gets us nothing. Well, I would only say that everyone can gather in their own corner, on their own side, and have an opinion about how you address this and how you live your life. But a 30-something is out of bounds. The borders are clearly defined, and she was out of bounds. So when people speak about where we come from and why is it that we raise these issues and how is it that we can't bring ourselves to a kumbaya moment with people who are literally trying to destroy us. And I found this, and I actually heard this um, clip this week, and out of all of the speeches I've heard from Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, I had never heard this one because he sounds more like Malcolm. And I believe that he felt this way only after a long period of frustration and a long period of what he believed was an inevitable. I want you to listen to this. I come here tonight and plead with you. Believe in yourself and believe that you're somebody. As I said to the group last night, nobody else can do this for us. No document can do this for us. No Lincolnian Emancipation Proclamation can do this for us. No Kennesonian or Johnsonian Civil Rights Bill can do this for us. If the Negro is to be free, he must move down into the inner resources of his own soul and sign with a pen and ink of self-assertive manhood his own Emancipation Proclamation. Don't let anybody take your manhood. Be proud of our heritage. As somebody said earlier tonight, we don't have anything to be ashamed of. Somebody told a lie one day. They couched it in language. They made everything black, ugly, and evil. Look in your dictionary and see the synonyms of the word black. It's always something degrading and low and sinister. Look at the word white. It's always something pure, high, and clean. But I want to get the language right tonight. 
I want to get the language so right that everybody here will cry out, Yes, I'm black. I'm proud of it. I'm black and beautiful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Powerful. Unequivocating. <laughs> the message was loud and clear. The language was absolute. When I heard that, I was I had to say to myself, Well, why have I never heard that before? And the name of the speeches never heard. It seems as though it was being hidden because of its controversy, because that would seem to be one of the first times I've ever heard a speech from by Dr. King that may somehow be interpreted as adversarial. So you get what you get. I heard it, and I really enjoyed it, but he's absolutely right. And the language he used and the way he he, he, he literally sliced the language up and uh, fixed it just right on the plate. Well, I've got some topics, some things I would like to cover this evening. Notwithstanding one of the things that I always say about when you hear Republican talk, when you hear Republican and you don't, you, you, the only thing you hear them say is cut taxes, kill regulations, and then they try to define who you are. They try to point the finger at you are bad, you are doing something. Their entire spiel is demonizing and vilifying. And this is how they get their point across. Through a repetition, a constant, ad nauseum repetition of repeating negatives about their opponents. And the one thing that people haven't been fed enough, you haven't heard this enough, because I'm, I'm, I scratch my head with this, because the history is there. The history is there. Who freed the black man? Liberals. A liberal Republican. Who granted the right to vote for women? Liberals. Who granted the black man the right to vote? Liberals. Civil Rights Act. Liberals. Voters' Rights Act. Liberals. Social Security. Liberals. Medicare. Liberals. <laughs> 
clean air, clean water, liberals. And here it is. In tonight's rewrite, the word liberal. I have no idea who combined this MSNBC publicity photo of me, the one where I look embalmed, with these words that I wrote a few years ago. But it's been flying around Facebook more and more lately, and we've been getting a lot of questions about it here at The Last Word, and so an explanation is due. I have, for decades now, been enraged. I'm going to have to try to hide my rage here. Just been enraged by Republican use of the word liberal as an epithet and Democrats' fear of the word liberal. In 1988, when liberal Massachusetts Governor Michael Dukakis ran for president, he felt compelled to deny he was a liberal, just as every Democratic candidate for president after him has never let themselves be stained by the word liberal. I wrote the live debate episode of the NBC series The West Wing in 2005, and I finally got the chance to hear a fictional Democrat say what I think they should all say when the word liberal is thrown at them. They should take it as an opportunity to rewrite what the word liberal has become in our politics. Now, an unthinking liberal will describe the airline bankruptcies as the evil capitalists screwing the I didn't say that, Senator. I don't think you should put words no, in my mouth. No, I know you didn't say it. You're not an unthinking liberal, are you? <laughs> I know you like to use that word liberal as if it were a crime. No, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have used that word. I know, I know Democrats think liberal is a bad word. So bad you had to change it, didn't you? What, what do you call yourselves now? Progressives? Is it, that it's it? true. Republicans have tried to turn liberal into a bad word. Well, liberals ended slavery in this country. A Republican president ended slavery. Yes. A liberal Republican. What happened to them? They got run out of your party. Well, what did liberals do that was so offensive to the Republican Party, Senator? I'll tell you what they did. Liberals got women the right to vote. Liberals got African Americans the right to vote. Liberals created Social Security and lifted millions of elderly people out of poverty. Liberals ended segregation. Liberal, liberals passed the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act. Liberals created Medicare. Liberals passed the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act. What did conservatives do? They opposed every one of those programs. Every one. So when you try to hurl that word liberal at my feet as if it were something dirty, something to run away from, something that I should be ashamed of, it won't work, Senator, because I will pick up that label and I will wear it as a badge of honor. technique. It's technique of how you attack your opponent. And Republicans have attacked their opponents very well over the years. Republicans have used each and every underhanded, low-down, and some might even say honorable, fair. All is fair in politics, is it not? The lie is fair. The distortion of one's position of fair, reframing revisionist history is fair. Telling people one thing when you know it's a lie, and you know it will 
generate a response. Those are politics. And how do they say politics is not jelly beans? Or one of those crazy sayings. But think about it. Think about it. When you get right down to it, we have literally, I would say, abandoned what we believe and who we are. How does the old saying go? It's not what people call you, it's what you answer to. And if you allow people to frame who you are, you will never win the debate. If you don't stand up for who you are, you'll never win the debate. The argument can drag on and on, but if you've allowed them to frame the argument, you start from a losing position. You cannot sit idly by and allow yourself to be swift-boated. You cannot allow yourself to fall into that category of, yeah, what he said. There has to be pushback. If you allow them to define you, What else do you have to say? You're always trying to explain. You're always trying to prove a negative. And you're always losing. And I found that to be no more uh, on the table. It was really revealed. It was revealed in the fight of Planned Parenthood. Here you have a foundation, Susan G. Coleman Foundation. It's been around for three decades. It's funded women's health and other needs for women to the tune of $1.7, $1.8 billion in the last three decades, there's a lot of money that has gone through the Susan G. Komen Foundation. This is what I have a problem with. Susan G. Komen Foundation has been run, headed, propagated by right-wingers, by Republicans. Fine. As long as women's health is what they were doing, women's health was in the front seat. Everything took a back seat to women's health, as it should. It should not have been political. It should not have been a politic thing. But then you bring in and you... Use and a former Bush press secretary, Ari Fleischer. Now, Ari Fleischer 
for those of you who don't remember who he is or weren't involved in politics when he was a prominent figure as press secretary for the Bush administration. He's a staunch defender. And what was he defending? He was defending the illegal war that we were lied into by the Bush administration. He came before the press and spun and tilted and and configured and what was going on. He controlled the press. He made the press submit to what they said. It was like, what, didn't you hear what I said? If that's what I said, that's what it is. Don't ask any questions. And that's what Ari Fleischer did, and he was very good at it. Ari Fleischer defended torture. Ari Fleischer defended unindicted war criminals, George Bush, Dick Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld. Condoleezza Rice, and yes, is Colin Powell in that group, or did Colin Powell pull up when he found himself being used, or is Colin Powell just a good soldier who went along and took the orders, but Ari Fleischer is one of the prominent He's in that Frank Gaffney category of defending these criminals. Ari Fleischer was the interviewer for the people who sought the job of vice president of public policy. And from the reports, and I got them from Think Progress, I believe it was, Ari Fleischer grilled people as to what their uh, beliefs were. This is the only way they got the job. And I I do believe that um, Ari Fleischer was one of the main figures in that entire debacle because the lady, Karen Handel, who he chose to be vice president, he knew that she was in the tank for anti-abortion, that she had this real hard-on for Planned Parenthood. And that at some point that, in some point that you would have to see is, you know, more of a setup because he knew who he wanted and he was just going through the formality of interviewing and this is a oh this is an update. Uh let me read this from Think Progress. Yesterday Think Progress exclusively reported Ari Fleischer's involvement dating back to at least December when the Coleman Foundation including issues related to planned parenthood. Tonight the Washington Post reports that Coleman is now publicly confirming that Fleischer, a prominent right-wing pundit and former press secretary of George Bush, will help on communication crisis. So not only was he involved, 
with the hiring of Karen Handel. Now they're going to push him out there to spin public relations. Coleman stressed that Fleischer, who is a longtime critic of Planned Parenthood, had nothing to do with the funding decision. I... Really? Are we going? Are, are, are we really going to fall for that? Coleman says that Ari Fleischer had nothing to do with the decision on Planned Parenthood. Really? Of the taxpayers' dollar. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> you don't know what I had to do to get that little piece. But um, he's the guy that interviewed it. He interviewed everyone when he knew who he wanted. And just the just the... The mere, the, the total hypocrisy of this is just, uh. So here you got Ari Fleischer interviewing and handpicking Karen Handel, who's already, who ran for governor of Georgia, I believe it was, and lost. But her crusade was on uh, anti-abortion and getting, and defunding Planned Parenthood. So he picks Karen Handel. And for 48 hours, they're out trying to spin what happened. And they're trying to tell everyone, oh, no, 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 this wasn't political. This wasn't political. And what literally came about in this is that women stood up. And I asked this question earlier today. Why is it that you have a blueprint? for how to push back and fight, but you don't use it. I can't name the number of women, Democratic women, who came to a camera and to a microphone to push back on this horrid decision, the groundswell, the number of people who pledged to stop giving. Why? How is it that... The same pushback, the same indignation, this anger has never played itself out before. How is it that acorn fell by the wayside? Silence. How is it that you've allowed death panels and a health care bill that is so watered down that now you can use it as a weapon against the president. You've watered it down. How is it that there was no public option? How is it that these bankers have gone so long and the Wall Street bandits and nobody's gone to jail? And there is undeniable, undeniable fraud on the court, mail fraud. How is this possible? 
And when you talk about accusing people of what you're most guilty of, did you see the Secretary of State in Indiana has been found guilty of felony voter fraud? And <laughs> it, 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 it's, it gets to a point where you have to ask yourself, are you kidding me? Are you bleeping kidding me? In a state where they're declaring that voter fraud is uh, the reason behind legislation for these IDs that will disenfranchise so many people. The long saga of Indiana State Secretary or Secretary of State, Charlie White, isn't over yet. But it now includes a conviction on six felony charges. White, the top election, the, the top election official in his state, was indicted last March on charges that he lied about where he lived to remain on the voter rolls in the Fishers. Indiana Indiana District, where he served on the city council along with other related charges. On Friday, he was convicted on six out of seven. Six out of seven felony charges and was immediately replaced by new interim director. <coughs> Excuse me. The Indianapolis Star reports that the conviction may not be the end of his time at the top of the state's electoral law enforcement structure. Now, get this. He's convicted on six felonies. Six felonies. White is 42, year old, 42 years old. plans to ask the judge to reduce his conviction, all Class D felonies, to misdemeanors at sentencing. It's uncertain whether that move will allow him to reclaim his job. So let me get this straight. They're going to go before the judge and ask that he not be charged with what he was convicted of after the conviction. They are not accepting the conviction. No remorse. We don't know the right answers to that, White said. This is all very new. Ha! Huh? It's not new. It's just that you've been caught, indicted, and convicted. Shortly after White's verdict, Governor Mitch Daniels announced in the news release shortly before 3 a.m. that he had appointed Jerry Bonnet, White's chief deputy, as interim secretary of state. 
That's like replacing a house cat with an alley cat. I've chosen not to make a permanent appointment today out of respect for the judge's authority to lessen the verdict to a misdemeanor and reinstate the elected office holder. What? Are you kidding me? I have chosen not to make a permanent appointment today out of respect for the judge's authority to lessen the verdict to a misdemeanor and reinstate the elected office holder. The Republican governor said in a news release, if the felony convictions are not altered, I anticipate making a permanent appointment quickly. Mitch Daniels cannot run for governor again. That's why he's gone off the deep end with with radical. Voter fraud has been a serious enough issue for governors across this nation to disenfranchise millions of people. And now the governor gives this wink, wink, nod, nod to this judge. Lessen these charges. That's what I want. It's obvious that Mitch Daniels will try anything to take back this fraudulent election. But there's only one thing that should happen now. Are you kidding me? Whose name is VOP? V-O-P. VOP of Silly. The Democrat that White defeated its Secretary of State race in 2010 should become Secretary of State, and we should put the embarrassment that is Charlie White behind us. State Democratic Party Chair Dan Parker said in a statement. Now, this is a very, (laughs) this is what I mean. And I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm not going to try to put a suit on this. I'm not going to try to color this or put lipstick on this pig. The mere fact that this young man at age 42 is looking at six felony counts, and the story says nothing about the number of years he may face in prison. And he should go to prison, if nothing else as Republicans have so decried voter fraud, and now the highest elected official in the state is a convicted felon, and they're asking the felony charges to be tapped down to misdemeanors so he can get right back into that job and further violate the trust of the public. Is that ballsy enough for you? Is that who these people are? Does that tell you, does that speak volumes as to arrogance, hubris, opulence? Give me some more adjectives to throw at this mofo. Because it becomes a situation that you can't, you can't make this stuff up. I can't make it up. Are you kidding me? But that's just the way it is. That's white man's justice. 
That's what that is. That's white man's justice. White men convicted of six felonies of voter fraud. And the governor is appealing to a judge, literally giving him the brow beating to reduce felony charges to misdemeanors so he can stay in office. So, as he put it, he can return to his elected position. Now, <laughs> I, you know, I will be watching, I'll be looking and trying to follow this story, but for me, this is, this. these are the types of stories that Democrats need to be out in front of a camera pounding and beating the drum on. Who's been convicted of voter fraud? This is not the first Republican convicted of voter fraud in the last six months. This is not the first Republican convicted of voter fraud in the last six months. But voter fraud is what they so decry. Voter fraud is what they seem to be championing up, when in fact what they're championing up is voter suppression. If you can get your head around the arrogance, this is what you have. Republicans are above the law, not just Republicans, white folk. The white man is above the law. Black man, you got a joint in your pocket, you go to jail. I saw a a documentary on uh, current TV, Vanguard. The name of the documentary is The War on Weed. And for those who can summon up current TV, you need to watch that documentary, The War on Weed, because um, it's, it contrasts, you know, what's on the coast, on the west coast and the east coast, and it's, it couldn't be more opposite. And the, the amount of money we are wasting in our judicial system and in our, and in our enforcement system to arrest people for small amounts of marijuana. And it gets to a point where they're all making money over this. And they're all making money on this because it's always profitable to appear to be trying to stop something than to actually stop it. Uh, Brother Brock, that's in Talking Points Memo. Uh, I see he's looking for audio. There was no audio on this. This is this is something that I saw uh, earlier today. And, it, and, and, and understand, this uh, Talking Points Memo broke this um, – Broke this uh, early this morning, so now. You're talking about a news dump? You're talking about making sure that 
this isn't this is flown under the radar. You're talking about something that should be sprawled across the headline. It's already um, touch and go in Indiana because of the right to work legislation that was literally rushed through. So when you get right down to it, (laughs) you have to ask yourself, we are dealing with a nation of two double standards. You're dealing with a scenario, a situation where you can't make this stuff up. You can't make it up. On this particular subject, on this particular, this was the second uh, that I just posted. That was the um, that was the update, and I'm glad I I've saved this to my to my favorites because I'll post the original because this was the update and it didn't give details like the other one had. And I would just hope that this is a better read for this particular story because, um, no, it's the same read. (laughs) It's the same read. But um, this was at 10 o'clock. This was at 10 10 a.m. this morning. Oh, I'm sorry, 10 a.m. on the 2nd, on um, No, this was 10 a.m. this morning, February 4th. And this is the news dump. And this is the news dump. And at some point in time, you have to scratch your head and ask yourself, why isn't this? Where's the indignation? Where's the blowback. And that's my point. That simply, and I kind of got off into that voter fraud situation with Indiana. But that goes back, and that harkens back to the question about the Planned Parenthood. They came out and fought vigorously. This is a fight you should have every single day with these Republicans. This is the fight that the liberals and the Democrats and the progressives, this is the fight that they should be having every single week, every single day, pushing back on these liars. And they are just that. They're liars. But they go unchallenged. This is classic swift boat. This is a swift boated John Kerry, and he sat silent. And he ignored what the people were telling him. You can't let these go unchallenged. And then a month later, he tried to deny. He tried to set the record straight, but it was too late because it had already been repeated over and over again. Just like the president is allowing them to tell the lie of, 
He don't know what he's doing. His foreign policy. Oh, wait a minute. Ben Laden's gone. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, 22 out of 28 uh, al-Qaeda leaders are no longer on the playing field. But it's simply irresponsible to tell them when you're pulling out. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Um, The Taliban are the ones asking for peace talks. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Um, Okay, okay. He doesn't understand business. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's a business that is enjoying record profits and the highest profits that they're just sitting on in their history. It's the corporations that are making out like bandits. Oh, what are we what are we gonna say now? Uh let's see. We've got to find a new lie. Oh, I'm sorry, the stock market is damn near doubled. But there are people still out of work. So he can't get the people back to work. Where are the jobs? And yet the president remains silent as to out and out telling the American people that these people are sabotaging this economy. They are trying to purposely destroy this economy. If they hope you fail and they help you fail, what else is there? What else can you say? What what kind of lie are you looking for? What kind of lie will it take and the United States is um making a slight effort to call these banks out. The new uh the attorney general for New York has sued, filed suit against the banks for their um electronic uh mercing or they call it mercing, it's a it's a form of electronic uh, foreclosure that they've used. And he's suing the the big banks. And now, according to this new position that the president has put him in, you know, he's got co-chairs who are solid, staunch business people, and they stand and they protect these banks. And I don't know if this is a smokescreen, but only time will tell because what we have here is, will this president actually take people to town? Will somebody please go to jail? Will somebody please find their way into a locked box? Put them in the cell with Bernie Madoff. The crimes are similar. The people responsible for extracting the wealth from this nation. Uh, here's a piece on it. Welcome back to Politics Nation. Millions of people who lost their homes because of dishonest banks and lenders may finally see the justice they've been demanding for years. President Obama has formed a new unit to look into potential criminal charges in the mortgage mess. 
And today he explained why it's a top item on his agenda. And so when I talk about our financial institutions playing by the same rules as folks on Main Street, or making sure that unscrupulous lenders aren't taking advantage of the most vulnerable among us, I do so because I genuinely believe it will make the economy stronger for everybody, but I also do it because I know that far too many neighbors in our country have been hurt and treated unfairly. Since the market began collapsing in 2007, more than 11 million property owners have been served with foreclosure notices. And in December, another 205,000 homeowners found out they could too soon be on the streets. Is it fair to let those people lose everything they work for while bankers who caused the crisis walk away with millions? Joining me now is New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman. Thank you for being here tonight. You said the housing crisis was not a natural disaster. It was a man-made disaster. So why haven't people been held accountable and in your new position? Is that what you're going after? Yeah, this is, as, as the president said, this is a very fundamental issue. Uh, our task force is created under the basic American proposition that there has to be one set of rules for everybody, that you have to be held accountable no matter how rich or powerful you are, and that the same rules that apply to homeowners have to apply to financial institutions. This is not, uh, it's amazing that anyone would treat this at all as controversial because this is so fundamentally American. The idea of equal justice under law, you know, is at the heart of this venture to, to make America what it's supposed to be. So the president, when he created our task force and elevated it in the State of the Union, basically threw down the gauntlet saying, whatever else you may say on the other side, I'm saying, this is a country where there's one set of rules for everybody, and the jurisdiction and the resources that we have in this task force really are unprecedented. I mean, we have the ability to go after every aspect of the misconduct that blew up the American economy, as you said, millions of people foreclosed on, and uh, even more remarkably, $7.4 trillion of home equity loss. You want to know why the gap between the rich and the middle class is so big now? The wealth of the American working class, the wealth of the American middle class was in their homes, and that has been lost over the last five years, $7.4 trillion. So this is about accountability for those who violated the law. This is about getting relief for those who have suffered, and it's also about getting the facts out so they cannot rewrite history. Because you listen to some of this dialogue going on, particularly in the Republican presidential primary. Uh, they're, they're pushing the same sort of deregulation and let everyone play yeah. by their own set of rules stuff that blew up the economy in the first place. I want to ask you about that, but, but what bothers me, when you look at uh, someone like uh, Mazzola, who was the head of Countrywide, calling subprime mortgages the most toxic product he'd ever seen while pocketing $661 million in profits. I mean, some of these people have just criminally defrauded people and should be headed to jail. Well, I, I, we just started uh, the joint investigation last week, and I can't comment on the, the details of specific cases, but there are three possibilities that we're pursuing. One is that there was conduct that was uh, legal, but shouldn't have been legal, and it was market abuse, and we have to make sure that the laws are changed or regulations issued under Dodd-Frank to make that illegal. The second is that there was unlawful conduct that doesn't lie, rise to the level of criminality, in which case we should be going after the profits that were obtained and trying to get relief for the homeowners and investors. The third is that there's some stuff that, that 
that may well have been criminal, we're looking at all of it. And it, my co-chairs on the right. working group include uh, the head of the criminal division of the Justice Department as well as the civil division. So we're, we're, uh, we're, we're going to be looking at everything and looking at all three areas of misconduct. All right, well, we'll be watching. Now let's talk a little about the Republican. Let's go a little on the political side. Well, admit Romney said in an interview uh, with the Las Vegas Review editorial board last fall that foreclosures should, quote, hit the bottom. Watch this so people won't think you and I are exaggerating this. Foreclosure process. Let it run its course and hit the bottom, allow investors to buy homes, put renters in them, fix the homes up, and let it turn around and come back up. I mean, how do you respond to something like that? I, these, I think that he is advocating the same kind of deregulatory madness that's what blew up the economy in the first place. If he, you know, the point of, of our financial markets is to have a well-regulated market so that people play within the boundaries. It's not a street fight, it's a football game. The idea is that you have some rules and people know what they are. You can't have a situation in which the message is some institutions are too big to fail. They will be protected. They get to keep the profits but put the risk back on the public while regular homeowners, you're on your own. That's the message he's delivering, that there are two sets of rules in this country, one set for the very, very powerful and another set for the average man and woman on the street. Now, Republicans think it's okay for people to lose their home. Here's House Speaker John Boehner yesterday, just yesterday, talking about the president's proposal for a new mortgage uh, refinancing plan. This is Boehner. And John Boehner, John Boehner went on and said that the market should be cleared. That's a dog whistle for let the foreclosures continue. Let the foreclosures run their course. This is not venture capitalism. This is vulture capitalism. For this guy to have received over $600 million in profits from these bad, written poorly, fraudulently written mortgages, and for him to keep that profit, he was the, the head, the CEO of Countrywide. Where is the justice there? You've got a felony conviction on voter fraud. You've got an impossible scenario of making money off of bad, of what you know was bad loans written. And you're not in jail. But Harken back and remember this. The mother who was prosecuted for uh, sending her children on a, under a different address to another school, they gave her three years, something to that effect. How was this equal? How was this fair? Oh, by the way, she was a black woman. So she gets three years for stealing pennies. And you got these white men who are trying to get their sentences reduced to misdemeanors for voter fraud. 
and you've got the white collar who steal over $600 million in fraudulent loans. And somebody wants to know, why are we angry? Someone wants to know, why are people angry? Why are the 99% angry? $7.7 trillion in housing value was lost because of a scheme, because of a scheme that people concocted and wrote papers up and bundled these mortgages and sold them on the global market, AIG, and then we bailed them out with our money, and they stiffed us by not lending to small businesses. Loans to small businesses are down 43%. Bank profits are up. 21 million. I'm sorry. It may be billion. No, they're up 21 million. And bank bonuses is up. Are up. 2 million. Exceed 2 million. 2 million is the increase over last year. And yet, there is no equity here. There is no equal. We are not under the same rules. We aren't judged by the same criteria. We take out of this environment, we take out of this culture what we get. We get harsh sentences for people of color, and you get arrogance, hubris. You get opulence that, that, that seems to know no bounds. You get people who have benefited from inherent wealth all of their lives for being special. The name of the book is When Affirmative Action Was White. And for those of you who haven't read it or seen it, you need to because it. <laughs> It's actually a very nice comeback for what you are seeing today. You can you can talk about all the things that people are angry about, but what you don't have to, what you won't come to understand is that the book itself explains to people. Iron, I'm sorry, Ira, Ira Katznelson. The untold story of racial inequity in 21st, the 20th century America. When affirmative action was white. And this is... uh, uh, this particular article, and I'll post it so that we can see. Adam Serwer reminds us that during the so-called age of liberal consciousness, the massive engine of federal government was devoted to creating an American middle class. But the only, but that, 
but that was only possible because of the false. What is this? Because of the Faustian bargain made between Southern segregationists and liberals to ensure that black people were cut from the opportunity being created. So now you get you kind of get a picture of how this goes. Ira Crasson Nelson, Ira Katzen Nelson, Crasson, Ira Katzen Nelson, when affirmative action was white, an untold story of radical inequity in the 20th century. America is a fantastic book. This is something I think about when I ponder the ethics and pragmatists of political compromise. The conventional progressive view sees FDR as a model of strong leadership and the New Deal. <laughs> the one thing that I understood the GI Bill and a lot of people, for those of you who don't understand or know what the GI Bill was, the GI Bill was to help servicemen coming home and basically you put them in a position that allowed them to take, take that elevator, that express elevator to the top floor. But the GI Bill was cast to the states where the creators knew that at state level, in the southern states, and even in the northern states, that the black man would be cut out from the GI Bill. He would not be able to get the no-down payment loans because he would be so redlined. And this book speaks to that. When you get right down to it, this was part of the deal. And the only and, and this article goes on to say that but it's clear that these achievements were only possible thanks to a massive concession to the white supremacist element of FDR's political coalition. Was that the right thing to do or wasn't it? Something interesting is that during the Roosevelt era that African Americans and started voting Democratic in large numbers. So even through the Democratic Civil Rights agenda of the era was punny and welfare state deliberately exclusionary of black interests. In short, this is how it was set up. This is how it was created to eliminate not only participation, but for the black man to benefit from all of this new deal. And it gets right down to it where that was another government hand up. But it wasn't even a handout for black Americans. You see, 
the one thing that's undeniable is the history of this nation. The one thing that you cannot hearken back to is the mere fact that the playing field has been uneven. And we as a people have still survived. We are still here. And that's what is so scary about the black man, period. That is what the white man simply can't come to terms with. How is it that we as a people can survive with their thumb, their foot, their arm, as they sit on the scales of justice, as they lean heavy on the scales of inequity. Yet here we are. And I can't say that we're growing stronger day by day, but it gets close. It gets close to having to simply say that, hey, we cannot deny because we don't have that sound machine to push this narrative because we own very little that stands for media. We don't own our own. They have co-opted the power of communication. And in war, that's the first thing you see is in war, that's the first thing you control is communication. And that's the first thing they have controlled is communication. Inherited wealth. When affirmative action was white, and it's, you see the inequities, when we speak about inherit wealth, check this out. This is the Romney family's last Christmas card, the 2011 Christmas card. It's Willard and Ann Romney, their five sons, their five daughters-in-law, and their 16 grandchildren. If you are one of the people in that Christmas card, you don't have to worry about your personal economic future because all of you are set for life. The grandchildren, all of you. The five Romney sons, as their dad explained the last time he was running for president, never served a day in the military, even though their father was in favor of the wars we were fighting, because like their father, they uh, found better things to do. Mitt Romney said, my sons are showing support for our nation by helping me get elected, which of course they failed to do. But it's not as if the Romney sons were ever going to need veterans benefits because before any one of them had gone off into the work world, dad had dropped a hundred million dollars on them, which left Mitt and Ann with only a couple of hundred million to get through their golden years. Joining me now for an exclusive interview, a man who has been heroically digging through the Romney tax returns, Pulitzer Prize winning author David K. Johnson, a columnist for Reuters and professor at Syracuse Law School. David, uh, I know you've been digging. I know very few other people have. These returns are gigantic and they're complicated and it's very difficult to get through them. What is the, the biggest sort of mystery that you found because I think normally when you look at tax returns like this what what you come out of it with is more questions than answers 
Oh, and I got lots of questions, Lawrence. Lots and lots of them for, for Romney and for Gingrich, too. But in, in this case, you know, anybody who reads a personal finance magazine, Money, Smart Money, Kiplinger's, they would think you can only give $13,000 a year, 26000 for a married couple to each of your children, and a lifetime maximum that as recently as 2009 was only $2 million. But the Romney campaign acknowledged to Reuters that no gift taxes were paid. Now, they didn't do anything illegal. They didn't do anything improper. This is the scandal of the law and how Romney's positioned to take advantage of it in a way that most people would not be. And he was able to pass this $100 million. And by the way, his sons, who are getting about a $1 million a year each in income, they don't pay any taxes on that because mom and dad pay the taxes for them oh, at their, thir at their 15, me, 13 percent rate. Let me slow this down because I am already more than okay. stunned by this. I mean, I want to dwell for a second on what we all think we're limited by. We all <clears> believe, <throat> as you said, that we have this uh, indexed, it, it, the number changes a little bit over time, but it's now $13,000 right. that you can give, a parent, say, can give to one of their children without any taxation involved. That's how much you can give in one year. And the reason you can't give them a hundred million dollars in a year or a million dollars in a year is is that is that we're trying to uh, make things work within a inheritance tax structure we don't want you to avoid inheritance tax by just giving it to kids while you're alive and 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 so so we have these tax rules there I have never heard of any way and I've listened to tax planners and estate planners talk all the time they will always say to you well there's that limit and then there's the lifetime limit of how much you can do with, when those annual donations add up. I've never heard there's any way around it, which is why all sorts of lawyers and tax planners are making a lot of money trying to explain to people how to comply with all of these rules. And now you're telling me there's five kids who somehow got $100 million with nobody paying any tax on that transfer. And, and they're just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, Lawrence, lots of people do these transactions. And that's one of the things I've been trying to get people to understand is that the rules as they appear on the surface are not the real rules in the tax system. Basically, in this case, he was able, I believe, to give carried interest, that is this right to profits that's taxed as if it was capital gains, to his children and transfer it to them. But you can transfer stock options. You can transfer property where you take it back, and if the value of the property is going like this, and the government official interest rate like it is now is way down here, why you can pass forward a lot of money to your children. And there are all the, that's why these very wealthy families, despite the estate tax law that's designed to create a meritocracy, remember uh, years ago uh, Warren Buffett said to me, uh, if we don't have an estate tax, it's like saying we want the uh, the, the Olympic team 20 years from now to be the sons of the winners of this year's gold medals, which makes no sense whatsoever. But that's what we do economically, and Romney really, really has worked this system for his benefit and his family's. David K. Johnston, we're going to put a link on our website to your article because everybody has to read it. I have written tax law in the Senate. I have uh, worked on my own tax returns every year. Uh, I've never been able to do my own tax return alone. I've always needed help with it. 
I do not understand what's going on here. I listen to the words you say. I understand the words. I do not understand how they're getting away with this. This is a massive well, I'll scandal. Well, I'll try to do a better job. No, no. It, 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 this is my failure of comprehension. It's a massive scandal. I didn't believe it's possible. And I keep staring at your work uh, in stunned amazement at this. We're going to keep coming back to it. Thank you very much. Did you hear in that particular clip the 100 million, 100 million dollars that has been gifted to the five sons? Each of them are making over a million dollars per year. This isn't touching the principal, and they don't pay taxes on that. This bit about the carried interest. You see, these tax laws were created by the rich and for the rich. These tax laws, along with the dishonesty, you can have wealth, I give a damn. You can be rich and give a damn. You can even have accumulated and come by these riches in a nefarious way of manipulating a tax law, a business law. It's not envy. It's not envy. No one is jealous of your riches is about the hypocrisy, your morals. Money has gotten in the way of your conscience. And when he screams about en envy, and when everybody sits back and goes, oh, they want to campaign against capitalism. No. That is the narrative that they preach, and everybody backs off. Gingrich backed off. Republicans backed off because the establishment was afraid that they're talking about this. See, Gingrich is the biggest coward of them all because the establishment has attacked him. And he's not attacking them back. Newt Gingrich is a rich man. Just out of spite, he should continue with the attack on Mitt Romney and his vulture capitalism. It's not envy when you point out the effective loopholes that they have taken. The offshore banks, offshore banks were created by monsters and criminals to hide their earnings and to hide who they were doing business with. Mitt Romney has six or seven offshore accounts in the Caymans, Luxembourg, Bahamas, Swiss banks. You get into that field 
Here's a man that's given us one year of his tax returns. Here's a man who gave John McCain in the vetting for vice president twenty eight years of his tax returns. So we know they're out there. We know they're out there. If you give John McCain twenty eight years of your tax returns, why can't you give that same thing to the American people that you are willing and you are trying to govern over as president, as the most popular man in the world, as the head of the strongest army, of the strongest nation, but you give us one year of your tax returns, he's vulnerable on this issue, and yet no one will take him to task on it. I dare say that I'm not, I don't hold the confidence that the Obama camp will fight him. Not because he's rich, of of course, but how he got rich and how he gained the system to get rich and how he continues to gain the system. This isn't an attack on capitalism. This is an attack on cronyism. He is the crony that he so decries, that he so claims that Obama is. Remember, accuse everyone of what you're guilty of. And that's Mitt Romney. And now here's the angry attack muffin trying to say Romney is blatantly dishonest. Well, we all know that. But he's kicking your ass. Newton. He's basically stomping you, stomping you into the ground. And you may have to hold out until March, until you get into them southern states, until you are able to perform for those bigoted, religious-hating, and I, hey, I could care less if he's a Mormon. The Mormon church has been founded on bigotry and hatred, on racism. And it came out that, how is it that in 1978, when Mitt Romney was 32 years old, when Martin Luther King had been dead for 10 years, could the Mormon church still be legit and deny priesthood to African Americans simply because they're black? This is a record of racism. And this is his faith. Oh, they they changed. Oh, they changed. They changed. They're no longer doing that. But that's their history. That is who they are. His father fled to Mexico with four wives and added a wife once he got there. 
the same people of the Warren Jeffs culture who marry and rape 13, 14, 15-year-olds and somehow have the PR spin to legitimize him as a prophet. Oh, he's a prophet. Oh. You know, at some point in time, people of religious foundation, of the anchoring of religion, and a basic belief of who you are. We've got our Eddie Longs, we've got our fake Christians. We've got the evangelicals who have gotten into the political world and have mingled politics with their religion. We got you the Jehovah Witnesses. We got your Christian scientists. I care not who you worship or how you worship. Just leave it at the door. Leave your morals. Keep your morals to yourself. Those who pray in public are hypocrites because Jesus said pray in private. Those who call up on the Bible are somehow a roadmap are the ones who follow it the least. In an African-American community, that's the one place where we gather the most often in the most numbers. When we get to a point of not being able to separate reality from the metaphysical, can somebody tell me something? With all of this talk about the metaphysical, how come they disrespect Santa Claus? The Easter Bunny and the Good Tooth Fairy. No, I'm just kidding. I don't want people calling in talking about, oh, you an atheist, oh. No, no. That's not the case. Common sense begs the question. Talking snakes, burning bushes. Oh, yes, it's about faith. But it's more about what you believe. It's more about the creation of some <laughs> of some really over-the-top scenarios. Teaching through storytelling is a technique. Those poll-tested, time-tested words of God says, the Bible says, Jesus says, who's going to go against that? Who's going to go against that? That's why once once you 
involve yourself into a church and you're listening to man tell you what God meant. The interpretations of the Bible are many. There are 30 different interpretations, 30 different editions. Which one is right? I've always told it like this. You can get an Amir, a Muslim, uh, a rabbi, you can get a pastor, you can get a reverend, you can get a bishop, you can get the Pope all in one room, and no one can come up with the one way to baptize anybody. That says a great deal about religion itself. But, like I said, I care not who you worship or how you worship. Just worship by yourself. Your faith is your faith. My faith is my faith. I believe what I believe, and so can you. So, let me steer this car off the religious road. Let me be able to say, to each his own. And leave it at that. We have an ability to think for ourselves and freedom of religion also means freedom from religion. And I would say any and everybody, hey, go down your own road on that particular issue now. And I'm coming up to about 19 minutes left. And um, like I said, I've literally gone through this entire program without taking a break and simply listening to the clips that uh, I've offered up because it's like um, not knowing where you are. And I'm really in a um, I'm really in a in a particular environment where I don't know where anything is, but let me take this quick break. Having a problem carrying that laptop, that iPad, all that stuff, we've got the answer at Sister Bag by Fatira. You know, carrying your stuff and more stuff is the problem. We've got the solution. It's Sister Bag. Sister Bag. Get one today. They're sturdy and large enough to contain books, your laptop, and everything else that you want to carry with you. There's a large inside pocket for a cell phone, wallet, or keys, whatever you carry. You can use these bags for school, for work, for dress. They will soon be your best friend. bag comes in a variety of designs with wonderful, beautiful African fabric and the best of craftsmanship. And the bag... Surely the bag to look for on your way out. 
sisterbags.blogspot.com. Patera designs sister bags for men as well. So get your brother back. I'm Janice Graham, and I carry my sister bag. Common ground. 
a mouthful sitting in for Janice Graham, and it's got about 12 and a half minutes. Let me close this out. Um, we are nine months out from one of the most important elections in our lifetime. And you hear Republicans refer to it that way. Progressives, the Democratic Party, the polls say people want to tax the rich to turn this country around. The polls say that we want to close these loopholes and we want to end the the income inequity. The polls say that the 1% are the villains. They have been the ones who have prospered in the last 10 years of tax cuts and deregulation. The polls say that don't touch Medicare and Social Security and Medicaid. The polls say many and most of the American people are in that frame of Let's improve this. And the adage from the right has been, you have to listen to the American people all the way up until the American people are not saying what you want them to say. Then you have to bring up or you have to create another distraction. You project your lie as to what you are doing onto someone else or to the, simply to the other side. And you declare them guilty, and their silence is the enabler that allows you to carry this message and convince those low-information voters that somehow, some way, they have this opportunity to create a world, an atmosphere that somehow that they'll be able to get what the rich have. You have a group of people who don't understand or simply can't get their heads around the fact that all they need is a scintilla, a very small reason, not to do the right thing. I, I I lose it when I think about the narrative that's being carried. And, of course, on the Sunday shows tomorrow, that's all you'll see are Republicans. On all your Sunday shows, you might have a one or two Democrats sprinkled between the five shows or for a quick hot five minutes, ten minutes, but the rest will be Republicans because – it is in the interest of corporate media. It's in the interest of corporate America that Republicans retake the White House, that Republicans seize power back, and they put it into the hands of the uber-rich because it will trickle down. Because trickle down has worked marvelously for the people in the upper echelons, for the rich, for the 
Let's protect the people who can afford to give more and let's hold the people who depend on and work on and live on less. This isn't about the redistribution of anyone's wealth, for the wealth has already been distributed to the upper, higher rungs of the ladder. The class warfare has been waged against the middle class, and they've won. But in nine months, there's an opportunity for people who are sick and tired of being sick and tired to literally say no, not now. And we'll try to stop you later, but not now. We're going to stop you right here. You get to a point where there is nothing. That, to me, there is nothing that you can say about this president that will make me vote for Mitt Romney. There's nothing that you can tell me about the Goldman Sachs people, the Bernankes or the Geithners or the Larry Summers and the blue dog that this president is. There's nothing you can tell me that will turn me to vote for these Republicans. People who have sabotaged our economy, people who have propagated for the failure, not of the president. Obama's going to be fine. It's the country that's taken the hit. It's people's lives. It's people being thrown out of their homes. It's the deregulation. And there's a tremendous promotion for this new fracking. The rich people are saying, we've got a wealth of energy in the ground. We have to get it out. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of jobs are at stake here. And yet hundreds of thousands of lives are at stake because they're polluting the drinking water. They're polluting the water that is used to grow crops. And the mere fact that they don't have to tell us what's in the water seems to fall very short of murder. That's all. That's basically what it is. The mere fact that they're seizing private land under eminent domain and parsing out what you can only say is an unbelievable an unbelievable amount of hypocrisy. You really have to be tone deaf if you are going to vote for a Republican. You really have to be, there has to be something wrong with you. Because I can't get my head around it. I really can't. How do you vote Republican? Tell me about tax and spend, and I can show you who's doing the tax and spending. 
Tell me about the debt, and I can show you who created all the debt. Tell me about the wars, and I can tell you who sent us to war. Spending the wealth of the American people, of the middle class, through a housing Ponzi scheme that no one has been called to the carpet and no one has been forced to pay for. Tell me about how is it that you believe that somehow you're going to rise to the level of riches. We all have an opportunity. If that were the case, many of us would be rich because we could simply will it so. You can tell me anything, but tell me how you can support a Republican. Please? (laughs) Well, I want to thank you all tonight for listening. Like I said, my prayers go out to Janice Graham and her family and hope all is well. And hope that we can once again, you know, enjoy the the all is well sound. Hope we can get that, but as life goes, we know that this is not possible. As life goes, we all have to go that way. And my hat goes off and my prayers are with Janice Graham. I want to... Uh, Tell people, tell everyone, let's not miss India Declare, 11 o'clock Eastern, Monday through Fridays at Blog Talk Radio. I Declare, the I Declare show, 11 o'clock Eastern. And let's not miss Peter E. Matthews on Power Views, Monday nights, 9 o'clock Eastern. Elvin Dowling, Architects of Change. Wednesdays, 9 o'clock Eastern. Let's not miss it. Let's not miss Enter the Lion's Den, Thursdays and Fridays. 10 o'clock Eastern Time. All in Blog Talk, TruthWorks Network. And I do a little something on Saturdays at 3 o'clock. So let's break out of here and let's um, rethink what we do. Let's rethink how we think. Let's stay the course. Critical thinking. When injustice becomes law, resistance becomes duty. Good night, everyone, and thank you for listening.
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.